Hello and welcome to Seeking Sustainability Live podcast. I'm your host, JJ Walsh, based in Hiroshima, Japan. This series is taking a look at sustainability from various viewpoints by talking to experts, insiders, activists, and innovators from across Japan. In today's talk, I have the chance to talk to one of my mentors and inspirations for Japan in terms of sustainability. Akira Sakuno has played a key role in developing sustainable community of Kamikatsu as the zero waste Japan model. She has traveled around the world talking about the uh, practices they put into place to develop not only better quality of life for locals, but also hitting those zero waste targets, reusing every wasted resource, doing so much to develop the community, put in place the government policies, and really work on a variety of innovative projects connecting to the businesses making the products, to the recycling and reuse of products, to creating jobs for locals by upcycling some of the wasted material. It's so inspiring, all of the passion and innovation that she put to use there. Now she's moved to Kyoto and she is active with Zero Waste Japan doing an accreditation system with small and medium-sized businesses across Japan in terms of adding a layer of transparency as well as training in how to not only communicate to the customer the more sustainable practices that your business is doing, but also to help them think about better options and better solutions to waste problems or transparency issues at their workplace. So I'm really excited to talk to Akira. She has a lot of great insights here. I hope you enjoy the episode. Japan, and today I am talking with the amazing sustainability expert consultant based now in Kyoto, Akira Sakano. Thank you for joining, Akira. Thank you so much. It's so nice to have you here. I met you many years ago when I visited、right. Kamikatsu. That, that seems like a long time ago. And I brought my son, who is now almost 19. So that was probably about six years ago, I believe. Yeah, I believe so too. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and you did so much amazing work in Kamikatsu,、uh, creating the Zero Waste Academy,、uh, working together with government and the local community. One of the things that I often refer back to about the Kamikatsu example is how you were not only focused on zero waste, of course, zero waste is important, but you were also working on the social side, making employment for the grannies or the local people,、uh, talking to the local people and finding out what needs they had and trying to create、uh, programs that worked for them as well. And、uh, I've used 
examples from the work you've done for many talks and many of my research papers. So thank you so much for everything you've done. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, well, Kamikatsu itself uh, has been working on like zero waste policies or even before we call it zero waste, uh, it's been there as the resident residential members contribution towards reducing waste and so on so it's it's has a really long history so i'm, I'm just part of the history so yeah. yeah. Well, nice. That's very humble. Um, you are so active in so many ways, and uh, I'm so excited to talk about some of them today. Um, so you're based in Kyoto now, and you're running the Zero Waste Japan uh, network, which is kind of consulting and uh, doing events. Can you tell us some of the things that Zero Waste Japan is doing? Sure. So we founded Zero Waste Japan in the very end of 2019. And then I left Kamikatsu in like April 2020. So from then, uh, I, we officially started Zero Waste Japan as an organization. So it's, it is a registered organization. So we do consultancy, uh, think tank kind of work. So we work with both municipality and communities, uh, which of course utilize our experience back in Kamikatsu. But at the same time, we want to really create like different approaches, different models uh, based on different social economic backgrounds in different uh, communities or the municipal area. So that's what we are doing. So we work both with like municipal government uh, when they are already interested in doing zero waste. But at the same time, we also work with like community-based organizations or the resident group uh, to kind of create also the bottom-up approach for the uh, project basis. So we could potentially also connect it to the the policy in in the long longer run so that's what we do at the same time we also work with corporations businesses uh sometimes it's the big ones but at the same time we really want to engage uh smes uh small to medium enterprises who are the majority <laughs> exists in japan especially when we talk about the rural communities or rural areas in japan so uh, we recently just had this event you're showing up, uh, sustainability talks. So it's like a casual, like, you know, you have a tea with you to talk about the sustainability, but for uh, mainly focusing on the SMEs, like how they can start driving or how they can work on sustainable actions. Uh, while, of course, they have more limitation in terms of uh, human resources, uh, finance and everything, uh, especially with COVID situation. But yeah, we, we talked about like, in which sectors or what kind of condition you can work with others. Uh, and then also the partnership is definitely the key for driving sustainability with the small scale businesses. Um, that's what we do. Um, and then uh, you, with the background. Thinking, yeah. Sorry, are, are you thinking of doing more events like this? This was such a wonderful event and it featured so many great examples of entrepreneurs, small businesses, innovators around Japan, different areas, and and also, you know, a good discussion of some of the hurdles involved, sure. not not only the amazing success, um, but also along the way, all the important steps, right? 
Yeah, true. Thank you, JJ, for joining the event, actually. So <laughs> it was really interesting. Um, yes, uh, we are actually thinking of uh, continuing something similar, but this was really our trial. Like we had three days with like different time schedules. So for example, we set the, the afternoon session for 2.30 to 5-ish, uh, where we kind of tried to set to engage, for example, like restaurants or the cafes, uh, who's kind of having like all the way business uh, hours like throughout the day. So it might be difficult for them to join such event in general. So we tried to set it like easier timing. Uh, then we also had like uh, after 6.30 in the evening for the general business uh, people. So we had like two sets of the sessions per day for three days in a row. So that was really um, hectic. <laughs> but yeah, um, we, we will have it like the smaller scale probably for, but more frequent basis, we hope. Uh, but it will, of course, depends on like uh, how we're going to create the engagement process with the SMEs and so on. But yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. eyeing that, yeah. Yeah, it was wonderful and a nice balance of uh, you had interesting presenters. Um, you also had speed networking. So a lot of the attendees are, of course, seeking sustainability in their lives or business. So it was, it was so nice to meet a variety of people from around Japan who are making efforts to be more sustainable, right? Wonderful. Right. Um, before we move on, I just want to mention in the poster today, you're wearing a very special jacket. Now, this is something I remember. I, I bought one in Kamikatsu, too. Can you tell us about this jacket? I love it. Right. Thank you. So in the picture, the pink one, right? So <laughs> this is the upcycle product uh, in Kamikatsu. Uh, where it's called uh, Kuru Kuru Craft Center. So we hired, uh, not hired, we actually partner with uh, local uh, grannies especially or uh, women who has sewing skills in general. And then we ask them to kind of utilize, uh, for example, discarded kimono fabric or this one specifically is the carp flag uh, fabric. So in the children, on the Children's Day in May 5th, uh, all over Japan, we have like, tons of carp flags <laughs> flowing yeah. in the air yeah i visited, then, uh, <laughs> I visited the nearby dam in hiroshima the other day and they have all the carp streamers across the the dam the water area and it reminded me so much of kamikatsu and all these beautiful giant koi uh, carp streamers that you have there. And then, of course, like you mentioned, when I visited the shop, when some of the streamers become old and they can't use them for the, the banner anymore, uh, mm. to reuse them into jackets or bags or other products, upcycling, such a great mm. idea. And it's so colorful and cute. I love it. <laughs> right it's it this product these products actually appeals more to uh international uh customers <laughs> then yeah we we actually had really uh interest uh coming from overall overall uh so yeah that's awesome uh well today i really wanted to focus on the accreditation system which i was so excited to see that you launched in 2017 can you give us kind of an introduction and then we'll go step by step through the different labels? Sure. Um, so Zero Waste Accreditation was founded when I was in Kamikatsu. 
with the background of, uh, for example, in Kamikaze, <laughs> the general is uh, all the residents participate in the waste segregation, which is massive of 45 categories right now. And then, of course, that uh drives kind of intention towards like how we can reduce the waste and so on so what uh first of all uh while the residents are participating in the waste segregation also the local businesses are but for the businesses of course it's uh harder because they receive customers and then like especially from the outside uh people might not know about like what's going on at the same time like some people actually expect to see more zero waste actions uh, when they're in kamikatsu. But of course, it's difficult to showcase uh, what's going on as our operation in the backyard to the customers. So for example, like we have, uh, we have our hotel slash onsen facility in kamikatsu, uh, which receives the most of the people who visit kamikatsu uh, as a tourist or uh, whoever coming to study about uh, what we are doing in Kamikatsu. Um, while the the hot spring or the the hotel receives so many people, they are actually doing waste segregation in the backyard uh, for more than 20 categories. So in, in, in a room, if you stay, there's only like one box for the waste, but they are actually segregating all the way in the backyard and people don't see it. Uh, in, this has pros and cons, like people who come to like stay and relax, of course they don't wanna see like all the waste bins lining up, but like some people who's actually expecting to come to Kamikatsu to see zero waste, they're like, you know, what's going on? <laughs> this is not working. So, so there's a gap between like, we wanna of course let people kind of know about like what we are doing. At the same time, we also want to recognize, recognize the efforts of the businesses who's actually, you know, working hard to uh, contribute to zero waste projects. At the same time, um, when we even talk about waste reduction side, not just the segregation, it is difficult to present what's not there. So for example, if you do not use, let's say straws in the cafes, and then it is difficult to recognize things that not existing <laughs> instead of like presenting what we have is really easier compared to that so that's why we wanted to have kind of visibility to help uh, communicate what we are trying to do uh, for the businesses uh, in, in Kamikatsu who's uh, trying to go more zero waste or at least you know co collaborating or cooperating with us for doing zero waste so that was really the back background of what he had, what we had. Then, um, so there was accreditation, as you said, was founded in 2017, uh, especially focusing on cafes or restaurants, these food sectors, uh, because that was the majority uh, rising up in, in Kamikaze that time. So that was the only reason we started from the food sector. <laughs> but yeah, um, let's, so we had, yeah. Uh, some yeah. of these labels, and then we're going to talk about uh, labels specific to the apparel industry. Um, sure. But these, this first set of labels, um, the most important maybe is the zero waste label. Is that right? Okay, so the black zero waste label is an overall accreditation label for, for example, this uh one with the weight <laughs> design uh, -huh. uh this this is for the uh, food sector so we have different design per sector 
categories. Then the rest, uh, now we are showing, like we are seeing like six categories. Actually, now we expanded into eight categories for the food uh, accreditation, uh, but each has different uh, meanings for category. Basically, we focus on like action-based uh, approach for accreditation. So instead of, for example, having like certain like numbers of, uh, for example, outcome-wise, outcome how, how much percent you have reduced waste is the way to kind of certify something, then we accredited something. So meaning that we actually look into their efforts and actions and based on what they are doing, uh, we are trying to visualize what they are doing. So that's the kind of difference between like what we see as certification versus what we take it as accreditation. So for example, just to give an uh, example, let's say now we see returnable as a like mark. So this brown returnable one is to uh, accredit the efforts of the shop, uh, trying to reduce all this packaging uh, materials coming into the shop. So they, they, of course, need to kind of work and negotiate with their suppliers and say, hey, you know, can we change the, the package uh, into like, for example, returnable as it's written uh, so that they can return to the supplier, they can reuse it and so on. Or, of course, I, making the I efforts have, themselves. Yeah, I have a dream that mm. someday <laughs> all bento shops, all takeout <laughs> shops will have a returnable system. Right. <laughs> and all convenience stores will have some kind of returnable system. How many people do you see eating convenience store food in front of the convenience store? So there's, <laughs> there's no reason not to have returnables, right? If you've got onigiri, the rice ball, why not on a plate? You can eat it. You can give it back. It's washed and reused. It just seems perfect or bento boxes you know you can have the higher quality ekiben the bento boxes for the stations all around japan using the same beautiful design that would be great branding not only for the business but for japan as a destination for visitors they would love that right so there's so much appeal it's not just about reducing waste what mm. you're trying to promote, what we hope sustainable businesses will take on is great branding. And it shows a higher quality image for Japan and their shop, right? True, very true. So yeah, for example, um, there is a new uh, moves for using like returnable or reusable uh, cups or bento boxes uh, for certain areas scope. Because like, yeah, um, I really agree with your dream. <laughs> I, I envision that's the same. At the same time, knowing the current supply chain of like all these convenience stores and so on, that's too far to like go back and forth and also for, you know, including washing streams and so on. But like, sorry, that's why I focus on like the community scale or like smaller scale in terms of the area wise, because if it's smaller as all the circulation or you know the supply chain itself then we can actually do it like more flexible flexibly so like if it's like only within the shops of certain area then even if you like buy somewhere eat somewhere you could return to there 
or like you can even create the uh, returning scheme. Like if the shops are registered in the same same uh, system, then you can return at any shops, even if you buy on the like you know shop A, but you don't necessarily returning at shop A. So this kind of network or partnership really matters in terms of like actually having the feasibility in this kind of returnable scheme. So yeah, that's just my perspective. Yeah. Uh, in the sustainability event, uh, you had a few uh, owners of small businesses talk about doing the accreditation. Right. How many accreditation shops do do you sponsor or collaborate with around Japan? Do you have a number? You could Good question. <laughs> so we have uh, accreditation currently of uh, uh, for the food, which includes restaurants or the cafes. And then we have for the apparel shops as well. Then we just launched yesterday <laughs> for the co-working or the shared offices uh, version of the accreditation. So now we have three categories. So the co-working version, like we only have one partner who we created together for that uh, accreditation scheme itself. Uh, for the apparel, uh, good question. I just counted last week, but <laughs> um, let me see. It's less than 10-ish. Yeah, not that many. Say, same for the food. Uh, we actually had certain like increase and decrease in terms of like, this is like one year for the renewal. So some people got that in the beginning, they didn't renew it. So now we are not counting, but like if we just count overall, like who got, then we might have more than 10. So that's great. And then mm. one, one thing I really admired you were doing uh, from the time I visited in Kamikatsu many years ago was also having open communication with companies, trying to get companies to think about packaging, to think about how they can make more recyclable packaging or less wasteful packaging. You're also doing a collaboration with Zojirushi, is that right? About bring your own bottle here? Right, so uh, since for the cafes accreditation, we have this BYO, bring your own uh, category, which for the cafe owners or the restaurant owners to uh, say that, you know, we are receiving your, you know, customers bringing your own like cups or bottles or even like containers for the takeaways. Uh, so yeah, uh, we wanted to kind of promote this context. So we partnered with Zojirushi who had, uh, who has been doing this campaign for like Kyucha uh, Spoto. This is like the, like uh, this is kind of registering uh, shops or the cafes. As a, as a place for people who can bring in their bottles and like refill uh, the teas. <laughs> so they are partnering with like uh, Japanese tea uh, association kind of, and then to promote that context, con concept along I the way. Is, yeah, Is the elephant kind of the mascot for this Zojirushi? Zoji yeah. Because I was yeah. thinking the elephant's spout looks like a tea kettle you can refill so it's like a perfect mascot isn't it <laughs> that's interesting view that's the first time i i kind of saw about it but yeah that's true <laughs> yeah and, and you got an award is it that you're holding in the picture 
Uh, actually, this is a partnership kind partnership. of, uh, yeah, <laughs> setting. So, so we cute. we partners, yeah, with uh, Zojirushi for co-promoting the BYO concept. So I think that was back in like 2018-ish. So yeah, um, now I also do have Zojirushi bottle. It's kind of coming off, but like we created like zero waste bottles oh, for nice. kamikaze residents and something like that yeah and, and this of course works really well together with the maimizu app which sure. you had uh one of the maimizu founders at your latest event talking about uh having an app to find refill locations for water around japan so this is this is a big hurdle in japan still to be able to find even water or tea to refill, right? True. Um, yeah, well, Mariko, the one with the Miami's co-founder, uh, she was explaining during the event, and I totally agree that, you know, most of the water here in Japan are drinkable from the tab. And then we have so much water as like, you know, we are such a rich country in terms of the water. So, but we are consuming so many like, you know, PT bottles, uh, <laughs> all this like vending machines, a huge culture here in Japan. Uh, so, but we see a gap between that. So yeah, uh, utilizing, of course, the tap water in general, but like giving the opportunity in, of course, at the public space at the same time, even like utilizing like restaurants or cafes or who are offering just to refill the water, then that's really uh, can make like, you know, infrastructure in the society for, uh, you know, water filling. So yeah. Really and uh, we mm. have a comment from Mo NYC. Uh, we could use these here, recyclable bento boxes. So that's true. Even outside of Japan, if we start to promote these reusable, high quality concepts for bento or different Japanese culture related things, it can spread to other countries as well. And even sometimes international companies are using Japanese concepts that not even Japan is using, right? Like Lush is using the furoshiki, the knot wraps. And I'm so happy to see that. And I wish more Japanese companies would do that instead of the plastic wrapping, right? That's true, that's true. <laughs> yeah, um, like reusable bento boxes, are, they are kind of spreading. Uh, for example, like we have a group in Nagano recently just started this Arpake is a brand name, but like reusable bento box for the uh, cafes to kind of, you know, return it at any point kind of system. I think this kind of like returnable system exists a lot for like coffee cups in, in other countries. But like if they are doing like uh, takeaway system recently, especially under the COVID, maybe the bento box concept also could apply. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit and, and talk about your uh, label specific for the apparel industry, which is sure. such a big, fast fashion is such a big problem around the world, right? So to start to think about how the apparel industry could be more sustainable, this is a great initiative. Mm -hmm. True. Yeah, so as as already said, apparel is a, such a complex industry, I'd say. So, but like we, for this accreditation overall, we focus on 
a shop so uh, instead of like looking at the big brand uh like overall like as a huge brand itself but like we focus on a shop what they can do from like bottom-up kind of approach so of course like in the end to like actually approach the entire supply chain of course you need to work with the brand itself like you know the the head office and so on but like uh to engage uh the staff who's working at the apparel shop so like even like having the customer interface so we see a shop as like a window for both like looking back to the supply chain at the same time also communicating like what we can provide as information and you know create a better uh, approach of the consumption towards the customer as well so that's how we see a, a shop really matters uh, not only the scope of the smes so that's why we kind of look into our, let's say we have, again, less boxes similar to what we saw as returnable. So it's talking about the, uh, the packaging uh, coming into the shop or even a shop uh, sending to the customers, for example, using e-commerce, like what kind of thing they can try is that kind of approach. But here, what's interesting maybe compared to the food is we have, for example, this zero waste worry car, <laughs> the yellow logo. Uh, so actually we found that it's, it's, if we, if I explain it, then that's generally, yeah, everyone would just agree. But, uh, the simple thing is that if we look into the actual produced waste of, for example, like cafes and restaurants versus the apparel shop, we actually found a lot of, uh waste coming from like our staffs uh for example bento box <laughs> or pt bottles or what they consume as a staff not just coming from the operations because uh at the cafes or the restaurants normally they you know they receive food from you know leftovers or what they're already cooked for their staff to be fed so you know they don't really produce waste for like packaging for the food for the staff, <laughs> for the for their lunch or whatsoever, but like in non cafe, non restaurant, non food sector shops, they actually produce a tons of like bento box or like pet bottles and so on. That's why we saw that, of course, like engaging staff not as a part of the operation itself, but also as their you know consumption habit or like how they see their own you know practices of lifestyles would really matter in, in terms of reducing the waste. So that's why we uh, included this like zero waste worker kind of concept to it's kind of engage. Yeah. Fantastic idea to include the activities of the staff and workers as a part of your initiatives. This is, this is always so important, I think, for any business that customers are very woke now, right? Customers are watching. Getting to, yeah. Right? And if a, if a company is saying, we are green, we are sustainable, but then the customer sees the staff going in and out to McDonald's and making huge <sighs> amount of waste every time they eat lunch, that damages the image of the brand, the company, the shop. So you have to walk the walk when you talk the talk, right? So <laughs> including the workers inside the system is so important. I was glad to see that. Yeah, exactly. Stay tuned. The interview will continue in less than a minute. 
This talk show and podcast is held every weekday, 9 a.m., 12 noon, or 5 p.m. Japan time, to talk with guests from around Japan and highlight the great work that they're doing, keeping the quality of life and quality of our planet in balance with profits. All of the shows are 60 minutes long, enough time for listeners to learn about the innovation and expertise of the guest, as well as consider connections to sustainability. Because we are in Japan, I'm in Hiroshima and my guests are from all over Japan. Listeners are also able to hear about life, culture, heritage, traditions in Japan, as well as Japanese specific innovation or travel destinations. Although the setting of Seeking Sustainability Live is in Japan, a lot of the topics and key points that we talk about are certainly relevant in other parts of the world. We have an audience in America, in England, in Australia, in India, in so many different regions of the world. Thank you so much for listening. And I really appreciate your comments and questions during the live talk streams and after on the videos or podcasts. Now, back to our show on Seeking Sustainability Live. So, and then for apparel specific again, so we have this like repair services if they actually have it, or at least even if they don't directly,、uh, if they provide like certain guidelines how to take care of these specific clothes as well, that also gives a good like insights of like, for example, like washing frequency, how to wash, like whether or not to use like hot water or whatsoever, that really matters. So, like looking at, into like not just Before selling, or how they operate within the shop, but after sales, it's really important in terms of like looking into the entire impact of, of course, waste production wise, but at the same time, like it, it is general context, of course, for the、uh, sustainability. And then,、uh, not only just providing the,、uh, let's say, repairing. Uh, service and so on, we put this category called a、uh, traceable. Um, normally, when we think about like traceability in terms of the apparel sector, we kind of think about the production side, you know, like how it's produced. Is it actually fair trade? Like we are not harming any environment in the production side. This is, of course, very important. But like we put this traceable concept for after we sell. So, <laughs> is there a system actually to follow up like on like? Same as the repair, like after the sales, but at the same time, is there a system to even collect it、uh, after customers stop using? Or is there a like, system to also match customers for that, like maybe exchanging their clothes? Like maybe some people don't, don't want to wear the same products anymore, but like is there opportunity provided for the customers to kind of, you know, continue, <laughs> continuously using、uh, the product? So, yeah. The, Um, let's let's go back to repair just just for a second because I I found、sure. your photos, um. But this is something that we've talked about in the series before. So, for example, high end brands like here you're showing Louis Vuitton, they ask their customers in Japan and probably elsewhere to bring back anything damaged、yeah. because they want to repair it. They want you to use it for a long time. Uh, Yukari Sweeney, a designer from Japan who's 
living in London right now. She said she had a, a old Louis Vuitton bag from her grandmother that she oh, took wow. back to a shop and they were so happy to see it. And they're like, we don't make this anymore. This is lovely to see. But that whole idea of repairing and using and passing on and using longer is kind of lost in our modern time, right? And it's so nice to have shops which are supporting that, like Patagonia, Montbell, and the other brands, right? Yeah, exactly. And then we actually do have like uh, repairing services shops uh, in, in our, you know, general like near the station or like anywhere so like that's not only for the shoes or like keys but they also do for the you know clothing as well so yeah we we kind of need to re-recognize that you know infrastructure i would say <laughs> already we have in the society so yeah definitely uh so talking about traceable a little bit more uh, traceable is is more about like sourcing the materials, is it? And then thinking about what happens after the product use is finished. Is that right? Yeah. So, for example, we in, in this category, we also see if they have uh, the collection system for their own like sold clothes, or if they provide like a platform or the opportunity, even an event, uh, to a customer to come bring their you know. Not work like not wearing clothes for the current uh, days, and then exchange it with the other customers or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of swap event, right? So, or uh, also the important part is if the shop are with like you know unsold stocks, what they deal with it. So how they deal with it, right? So this is really critical that whether like some brands were really accused from like burning them all but like is there any uh, proper streams to you know resell or even like you know recycle in the very end or so on like what what they have us in the system so it just to trace it is really important to look into so yeah definitely uh, we have a great comment from prasana thank you prasana from facebook Thank you, Sakano-san, for your impressive work with Zero Waste Academy. How do we achieve a world similar to Kamikatsu? Should we start with villages around the world? Has any other country taken up such initiatives similar to Kamikatsu? It's a very good question. Mm, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, well, um, definitely zero waste is like one of the policy uh, direction that many countrywise or citywise uh, municipality level, uh, lots of the, the places has been taking. Uh, so yes, but looking at Kamikatsu, it's really our area specific approach as a overall so like i'm not saying that you know everyone should do for example like 45 categories of waste segregation at all so <laughs> you know approaches needs to vary depending on socio demographic uh you know socioeconomic even uh the context of the area so for example of course like we really uh want to see of course for example, the national level of the policy to be implemented, for example, for the specific product bans, especially for the plastics, or like uh, even implementing the proper uh, recycling system in the country is, of course, very much a key. At the same time, uh, looking at like more uh, local context, then of course, for the implementation of like reduction side of like 
which connected more with the lifestyles of the people there or like how the local businesses functions, then that needs to be really customized per area. So there are certain like elements or actual approaches that we can learn and then probably like copy and customize from like what we do in Kamikatsu. But at the same time, we of course need to customize <laughs> in the very end. So that's why I'm working with uh, different uh, municipalities or the communities now to see what works, like more similar to what we already have done, and then what doesn't work or like what can be created as a new approaches. So that's that will I I'm really hoping to kind of create more of the options uh, in the world to have you know. Okay, maybe we can choose this if we have this kind of condition. So it it could provide more. Uh, how do I say, the choices <laughs> of the policy selections. So that's what I'm aiming to work on. But yeah, um, ask uh, answering. Uh, how do we achieve more? <laughs> then definitely we need like both approaches from like. Uh, policy creation side, which could be both national, municipal level. At the same time, we, of course, are, it's a huge power of like citizens or the groups, whoever are trying to start working on uh, such initiatives. And then it's, it's just, for example, what we help in general is just to fill the gap between policymakers and then what's going on in the ground. So someone needs to kind of you know, fill the gap in the middle. Otherwise, uh, some citizen groups or like, you know, even an individual resident who has been working on working on like certain project of their initiatives always feel kind of, you know, well, we have really asked a lot to the municipal government, but since they are too busy, they are not responding, like, you know, they reduce the amount of trust with the municipal government, while the government side, like, like of course, they want to engage the resident, they want to listen to them, uh, they want to conduct something meaningful. But at the same time, of course, always they can't just listen to one person, then they need to be you know, neutral or so what. So like actually bridging like what works for them, what doesn't work, like how we can modify it and so on, needs to be coordinated in a better way. So that's what we see. So like, someone who could take such roles uh if you can be such then that's really meaningful at the same time like if people start to see uh, things are coming up and of course that can be recognized in various ways so yeah that's what i see <laughs> that's that's a great answer and that's that's one of the things that i was so impressed by about the kamikatsu example is you have a government a policy, a really good government policy that, that came because of need. They didn't have a waste system. They had to create some way to reduce waste in the town. Um, they created a policy, but then once they had a Zero Waste Academy working as kind of an in-between between the community and the policy, it's so much more effective. So would you suggest that model kind of having a grassroots organization, nonprofit working between the government policy and the local people, that uh, kind of uh, situation or design for a sustainable community seems to be very effective. 
True. Um, I agree in certain level. Like it, like for example, like in Kamikatsu was very specific to zero waste, <laughs> uh, like topic organizations. So zero waste academy was really focusing on like how to accelerate zero waste. But uh, it doesn't necessarily be creating a new organization. But it could be anyone who's interested in taking the role if they are like located locally. So for example, when I work with other municipality. I, I cannot create like organization everywhere, right? So <laughs> I partner with the local organization uh, who's who has the grassroots like movement, not necessarily be even in the sustainability. They work in different contexts, but like we partner with them to have the bridge between like how to engage the local resident, how to engage the other uh, local organization, and so on, so what. And then we can also help to kind of like uh, develop their skills to also communicate with the government side in terms of the waste related topics and so on. So that is feasible like we don't need to really look into like creating new organization but as a context wise of like having someone uh locally well uh, connected uh well established uh to have the bridge between like municipality and of course to engage different stakeholders in the the community is really a key mm. yeah there's there's so many important parts right there's the community engagement, listening to what the local need is, uh, making policy. So you need the stick, you need the carrot. Uh, what what do you see your role as? More the carrot than the stick or a little bit of both? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need to be both, definitely. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't really be a stick towards like local like members, like, you know, community residents, like they, they, they need carrots <laughs> in general, <laughs> um, even for the businesses, right? Um, for the municipality, we can be both. Uh, sometimes uh, we can be harsh about like the approach. And then sometimes we need to be a good carrot uh, coming from the outside saying, you know, recognition from the outside and, this works and this doesn't and so on. So yeah. <laughs> now, one, one of the things that we haven't talked about yet, which you did a lot of in Kamikatsu, was education, then mm. helping uh, visitors or students or researchers. You had so many researchers, well, like myself, visiting Kamikatsu to learn about the zero waste system and how they could apply it in their own situation. You also created a zero waste game. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you yeah, for the introduction. I yeah. Game. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So this is my kind kind of like uh lottery time creation because I really had this um not struggle but the frustration on myself that uh connecting the actual like elementary school level education programs and then what they could do more in terms of the context and then of course like it it actually worked uh we sorry um i designed this game for elementary school like fourth grade elementary school which is like 10 years old kids but actually it works a lot for the adult, adults as well <laughs> but yeah so just like explain this about this game um so this game provides a tons of cars that uh we call it product cars so these are the product potentially become waste which i picked all the list from what we actually see in the waste collection center 
<laughs> and then uh, there are like uh, five R cars, uh, which is uh, reusing. So everything starts from R, right? So reusing, repairing, repurposing, uh, recycling, and rotting. So uh, we we have these five ways to rescue the potential waste. And then so kids can choose like which like R to use to rescue your, you know, certain products you picked up. Uh, at the same time, like you don't always have five choices all in your hand. So if you don't have the right choice, you actually need to choose between like whether to burn it <laughs> or bury it or <laughs> to refuse it. So meaning like uh, you kind of need to propose what are the alternatives not to use this product from the very beginning. So for example, easy, uh, easy example is of course, instead of the plastic bag is you bring your own bag, right? So it's really the easy alternative, but like, of course you see lots of <laughs> different difficult uh, products coming up. So yeah, uh, by doing this, like uh, what to choose from to rescue at the same time, creating the ideas, what's the alternatives, uh, kids tend to have more, um, you know, thinking process, like shifting into think about the alternatives, because actually we set the pointing system. So refusing is the highest point. Recycling is the lowest point. And then if you bury or burn, it's negative point. So you lose the point. So <laughs> this is really to kind of shift the mindset of um, what you think when you look at the potential waste, or even once you start uh, selecting what you buy or what you get, and then I'd like kids to think in that way for like, you know, looking into product as not just a potential waste or like, you know, something you can throw away very soon, but this might have a life <laughs> kind of that, that mindset, right? So that's why we have lots of like faces on products. So it's very, you know, relates uh, to the emotional connection. <laughs> so that's, that's all about the game. And then we also have the event card, uh, for example, showcasing this turn, you can't use recycling card because recently a country who has uh, who had uh, received like all this recyclable item just stop and just ban importing the recyclable, which we know what's actually happening in the world. Uh, so that's why you can't do the recycle this turn or something like that. So we incorporate also the social uh, actual context into the game. So that's what we do. Yeah, <laughs> really fantastic. And you have a big fan here uh, in New York, and he's trying to recruit you to go and work <laughs> in New York to be an advisor for. Uh, but you have spoken at Davos, Switzerland. You have done an international TED Talk. People must ask you all the time to come to their country and help in their situation you must be in high demand i'm so happy that you're working in japan because japan needs a lot of help too <laughs> but have you thought about like making an english version of this game or working with organizations abroad have you done any of that work yeah true so we actually do have data version of english we haven't really printed though we haven't really published about this game, uh, we are actually working with other like uh, local groups to uh, 
local translate into their you know languages and so on that's that's kind of like ongoing back and forth <laughs> yeah uh also like we we are really uh looking into uh partnering with local organization in any any area uh probably it's uh we like since I also worked in Asian countries, <laughs> I, I have more attachment or like time uh, time gap wise also. <laughs> it's easier to work with Asian countries, but like we are really open. Actually last year, like in the beginning of last year, uh, we also visited Costa Rica uh, to kind of see the partnership, like similar uh, municipality like Kamikaze very much in the mountainous area, uh, who's very really huge in coffee farming. Uh, and so on. So we really wanted to kind of start doing something there, but like since the COVID kind of <laughs> attacked afterwards, so uh, the project itself is still uh, not work, uh, not moving forward. But yeah, definitely we we are into the interest for any any projects. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, it's it's wonderful to have both, right? It's wonderful to have the international connections because even in Japan, the government is actually watching what happens about Japan abroad, sometimes more than within Japan, right? <laughs> like the the famous artist, Yayoi Kusama, for her polka dots. She never became famous until she became famous in New York. And then Japan is like, come back. We love you, right? So sometimes <laughs> having a Japanese concept or a Japanese innovator like you get traction overseas actually comes back and helps Japan as well, right? Yeah, that's very true. Like, that's why when I was in Kamikaze, I really focused on like uh, having visibility outside Japan because uh, if within Japan, for example, the tendency we get is like, you know, you're such a small town, that's where you could do it. Like, you know, Kamikaze is too unique in terms of like looking into any kind of context and so on, so what, which is of course true, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that like what we are doing or what Kamikaze has done doesn't apply to in any, like any context, right? So, and then also knowing like what's feasible or what's actually was possible uh, could provide like lots of insight in terms of like what people can think around the current uh, existing system. So <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. why uh, that was really a key, definitely, yeah. Wonderful. Well, people are asking about the website address. So it's <laughs> zwjapan.org, is that right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Zero Waste Japan. Wonderful. I think you're going to be in high demand now and people are asking about the game as well. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> is, it, is it possible to buy the game from the website? Yes, uh, but we only sell now the Japanese version. So if uh, people want the English version, uh, it might take some time. <laughs> but yeah, if someone's really interested in, for example, like partnering with, with us to publish and to print it locally, in, in your area, uh, we are also welcoming such partners as well. So another thing, yeah. That's fantastic. Um, talking about uh, hurdles, what are you mm. kind of focused on? Because I know you do collaborate a lot with businesses making products and the government. What would be the number one thing that you would hope to see this year? in terms of government policy or companies changing? Is there anything that you think, ah, if this happens, 
it would really help sustainability. Mm. Like last, Very good last point. year, mm -hmm. for example, uh, Japan mm -hmm. banned plastic bags, shopping right. bags. You have to buy them now. That was that was a nice initiative. Maybe helps people use less bags. Um, is there anything like that that you would you would hope for? Well, first of all, I would think that, for example, especially since we work with like local municipal government or local communities, and then uh, in Japan, uh, this is kind of similar to other countries, but municipal governments are the one who decides and who is responsible for waste collection and waste management in their municipality. So meaning that they are responsible for having a facility for like having necessary facilities for whether recycling or whether incinerations or so so and so what if they can't build by their own they need to like contract with like whoever who has it you know, as a company or uh, even the other cities and so on and then actually our of course municipal government are limited of course the sizes varies but like they are generally limited with budget especially the ones who i work with are the smaller municipalities so uh, they are limited with the budget uh, so what will happen is of course gov the national government subsidize for for example building incinerators or building the facilities in general but uh, the money directions had been focusing on like building quite high-tech uh, big facilities for incineration, like incinerators. So with that, like money streams ongoing, uh, the basically municipality would not choose doing more recycling uh, than incineration. And then once the incinerator uh, build, it stays like more than 30 years. So you need to supply waste uh, to kind of cover up the functions of the incinerator. So that kind of like set up of how things are funded, uh, where the money are uh, like, you know, uh, set for the fund is really definitely the key. So right now, for example, the, the national government just uh, announced for a new policy uh, to kind of start recycling plastic products instead of packaging, instead of not just packaging. Uh, but for that, uh, they are kind of uh, setting up the fund for the municipal government to start building plastic recycling facilities. But again, uh, that is just for the fund, like first fund to build it, but it's not for running the facility. And then I, I, I think that, that most of the <laughs> municipality do not see the value in just you know receiving the fund to yeah. build new facilities. So like entirety is kind of like where we should fund as a national level uh, versus like how we of course still need to kind of take care of the existing facilities so overall we need to have the balance for it and then if you really want to push more for like recycling or you know uh having like circularity of the material um we kind of need to have really the recommendation uh coming from the national policy side attached with the actual like fund streams so that that's really what i want to see in, in terms so of the change, yeah. And, and one of the things that I learned from visiting you many years ago was the power of composting. And I definitely saw it again when I visited San Francisco and the Recology Waste um, Recycling Center and how 
they're doing curbside uh, compost pickup. And they talked about you have higher value for recyclable materials because the kitchen waste, the food waste is outside of the recyclables. It's separate. And I really saw that in Kamikatsu. You have 100% composting for all residents, all businesses. And when I went home, I tried it myself. And immediately, like 50% of my garbage reduced. So having a national 100% composting system would be huge waste reduction and get it back to the earth and create better farms and better dirt, right? It just seems like a no-brainer. What do you think? Yep. I totally agree. So <laughs> it's really interesting. Like our recycling rate in Japan is very low compared to other uh, countries. And then this is because of uh, we have incinerator system put up and then to incinerate organic waste. <laughs> so of course, while organic waste is like, you know, a lot with water, like more than half is like water. And then like burning water doesn't make any sense. And then this is also the reason why we do not reduce plastic waste uh, going to the incinerator because they want temperature to be set high. So actually the incinerator operators want plastic waste to be in the incinerator is instead of recycling because to keep the temperature high. So if we actually separate the organic waste, yes, definitely. Uh, it would reduce that, like lots of troubles in the incinerator at the same time we could reduce the uh, the capacity of the incinerator as yeah. well. Yeah. Plus, um, I remember talk, whenever I talk to anybody in waste management anywhere around Japan, I always talk about composting. And I, and I expect them to be resistant, but every time they are very positive about composting and saying mm -hmm. it would save the area a lot of money because then the garbage, uh, you don't have to use as much gas. You don't have to have as much staff picking up many times. So it reduces a lot of the labor emphasis as well. They don't need as much people working on it. And uh, you could do collaborations with farmers. Uh, it could reduce their costs. So they were really into it. So why doesn't it happen more? Let's, let's push composting. I love it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I totally agree. So yeah, um, there are several municipalities who actually do uh, composting as an official waste management stream. So they do separate uh, organic waste from the rest of the incineration waste and then uh, do separate correction. And then they do create like either biogas or like actual fertilizers uh, from there and then to even like sell the fertilizers back to the community and it actually is a very good quality but yeah that that is definitely uh how how it's working in more of the you know uh area with farmers or the farming being one of the majority of the industry uh so it, within the city side probably just connecting uh such like farmland kind of outside area of the cities and then to kind of create the uh, collaboration or partnership between different municipalities and should work. But yeah, these, these kind of like are, how do I say, 
creating partnership or cooperation uh, between municipality was designed when uh, the national government was really pushing and implementing the, the larger scale incinerators. So now, <laughs> why not doing same for the composting? So yeah. I really agree. Yeah. Um, when I visited Recology in San Francisco and learned mm. about their composting system, and I realized how great it was for the local area agriculture. So California is famous for wine and their composting, their, all their residents' kitchen waste is becoming beautiful dirt and then given to the wineries. And then the wineries have a better product. So it really opened my eyes to the whole idea of branding, not only for reducing waste, but it actually improves the brand of all the agriculture around the area. So I would love to see that for Japan. I think that's a great branding activity. <laughs> uh, we have we have some comments. Even the word baffles me, puts head down for composting. I think that's true, right? People think of composting as really hard. Uh, when I visited Kamikatsu, everybody who couldn't dig it into a garden uh, was kind of given a subsidy for an electrical composter. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a good system. So a lot mm -hmm. of people don't have access to garden themselves or a farm, right? Yep. So yeah, in Kamikatsu, of course, like uh, we, the municipal government uh, did not collect uh, whether the organic waste or like fertilized, uh, you know, the actual produced fertilizers. So um, that said, maybe uh, somewhat in the cities, of course, people need things to be collected while they don't have the areas like gardens or like small farm to put into. So the collection system would be, of course, additional uh, things that we kind of need to look around because uh, if we put like additional collection day for like separate organic waste, from incineration waste that actually an add for labor and you know truck running around in the city so that is kind of one of the challenging part in municipality but like if we push for like for example community-based compost or like you know household-based compost that's where municipality definitely see the value of it yeah uh, at the same time like we also could tie up with like different uh stakeholders locally. So for example, business waste, uh, especially let's say coming from restaurants and so on for the food waste is definitely a larger volume. Uh, whether it's tied to like industrial waste or whether it's tied to the municipal waste depends actually on the municipalities. Um, but yeah, uh, that might also affect a lot in terms of the amount of organic waste. So uh, if there is a stream to collect uh, business organic waste, and then uh, to tie it together with the, the household waste would be, would be nice yeah. also to look into. One of, so. one of the nice mm -hmm. initiatives you had in Kamikatsu at the waste sorting station was a big composter, a big electric <laughs> composter, like for restaurants or hotels um, that maybe have a lot of kitchen waste to bring in or food waste to bring in. And they can do it at the big... A machine and that is a great example of also of share economy right a wonderful people can share the machines not everybody needs their own machine so there's so many great innovative examples there 
Mm, true. Well, like it also depends on the the size of the uh, the restaurants or the cafes, so how much they actually produce the organic waste and so on. Uh, at the same time, like it's the tie with like how we can reduce organic waste from the production side as well. So. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting to look into. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. but yeah. It's wonderful. That that is our hour. I think That's we true. could definitely talk for many hours. So I'd love to have you back again sometime in the future and talk about a different topic. You're involved with so many important work not only for the label system but also consulting with businesses. Uh, training people, advising, also working with the government. I don't know how you have the energy, but I appreciate everything you do so much. Thank you, Akira. Thank you so much, JJ, for inviting. And then thank you so much for all this uh, nice conversation. I, I hope I contributed some. <laughs> oh, fantastic. And good luck with your course. Uh, you're now working on your master's and hopefully... <laughs> PhD as well. I don't think you need it, but I hope that you can get something out of all your research and study as well in Kyoto. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you everybody for joining. And uh, tomorrow at 9 a.m., uh, we're talking about CSR, corporate social responsibility, and the activities that companies, big companies, can do to help with social impact and environmental awareness in their area. So please join us again tomorrow, 9 a.m. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you so much, Akira. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. If you want to learn more about the work that I do, have a look at inboundambassador.com. You can also sponsor the work that I'm doing on the YouTube channel, Patreon, buy me a coffee, coffee or haps. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day.